So it's the night of the big game, high school championship game. Game is tied. It's late in the fourth quarter, and the star quarterback gets hurt. So the coach has no other option but to turn to his backup quarterback, and he's not a great option, but he is the only best next option, and he's a really good athlete, but we'll just put it this way. He didn't have the the highest football IQ, okay? And so coach tells him which play to run, sends him into the game, and in the huddle, he relays the play to the rest of his teammates, but when they get up to the line of scrimmage, to everyone's surprise, he calls an audible. And he changes the play. Everyone hears him yell out, 14, 14. They run the play. He hands it to the running back who goes off of the end. And he runs to the end zone, scores a touchdown, and they win the game. Everybody's going crazy. The coach comes up to him afterwards. And he says, son, what possessed you to change the play and call play 14? And And the kid goes, well, coach, I saw those two big linebackers right in the middle, biggest boys I'd ever seen, number six and number seven, and I just added them together, and I called play 14. And the coach said, well, son, six plus seven doesn't equal 14. He said, coach, if I was as smart as you, we wouldn't have won the game. (laughs) And I tell you that story because I want us to consider the amazing and seemingly impossible story of the church. How in one generation did a ragtag group of Jewish peasants change the course of history? How did they win in the face of absolutely impossible odds? I mean, they didn't have educational resources. Everyone knew they were untrained. They didn't have political resources. They had no status. They had no power. They didn't have financial resources. And yet, they helped change the world because of what they did have. The best gift ever. So we are starting a new series today called The Gift of the Holy Spirit. And I am excited about this series. It's been a while uh, since we really focus on this subject alone. I mean, there's certain subjects that are intertwined in many different uh, sermon series or sermons that that you may do or I may do. But this one, I, I wanted to get in depth and talk about the Holy Spirit. And I know that's an interest for a lot of you. Now, let me say right up front that... There is no way in a short little series that I'm going to cover everything there is to learn and know about the Holy Spirit that we learn from the Bible. That is not my goal, and I'm just not going to be able to do that. But I hope that what is said and learned will encourage us and better equip us to walk closer with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And speaking of Jesus, there's really no better place to start this series than with him. Because why not start with the person who knew the Holy Spirit better than anyone else? And so that's what we're going to do as we begin this series. We're going to launch out of John chapters 14 through 16. And I would just encourage you this week uh, and next week and, and throughout this series, just if you want some, some of you are in, your, in the Word every single week and that's all, or every single day, and that is awesome. And I would encourage you to be in the Word every single day. If you're not, then start. If you are, continue. That's awesome. Uh, but if you want to either add to or start, a good place would be John chapter 14 through 16, because that's where we're going to be kind of launching out of for the next several weeks. And I think it'd be good to just kind of prepare your heart and your mind for what we're going to talk about. And hopefully God will give you some fertile ground in your heart and in your mind for him to speak uh, some truth into your life through this series and in my life as well. So I hope you'll be doing that over the next several weeks as we continue in this series. Uh, And uh, that being said, I am excited to start this series. And so let's just go ahead and jump into it. 
So it's the night before Jesus is about to die. He's about to go to the cross. And if you remember, he's told these men that are following him to leave everything to follow him. And they did. But now he's telling them that he's going to leave them. Ten times in three chapters, he tells them, I am going away. I'm here right now, but there's coming a time when I'm not going to be here any longer. And naturally, they're feeling confused. They're feeling abandoned. Imagine how you'd feel if you uh, had walked and lived with this person, followed this person, given up everything for this person, and now they say they're about to leave you. It is in that context that Jesus says, I know you're sad, but I know something you don't know. And he says this in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, because I've said I'm going away, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. They're thinking this is as bad as it could get. Jesus is leaving us. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's going to be hard. You're going to be hated because they hate me. They're going to take you to court. They're going to throw you into prison. There's going to come a time when people are going to kill you and think they're doing God a favor. And so in the, very, in the midst of what is a very uncertain and very hostile future, what do they need? What is it that he is going to tell them they need? Stick together? Have a positive attitude? I mean, out of all the things he could have told them, out of all the things they might and we might think he should or could have said, what he does say to them is, trust me, the best is yet to come because I'm sending you the best gift ever, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And notice Jesus says that it is for your good. Other translations say it is expedient for you, or it is advantageous, or to your advantage, or it is better for you. And yet, I think the disciples, even though those are the words Jesus says, it's better for you, I think the disciples had a hard time believing Jesus. And I think at times we do too. I mean, wouldn't you rather have Jesus in the flesh? I mean, how many, like, Man, I'd believe. My faith would be taken to a whole... If I had Jesus right in front of me. And so what we're going to do for these next few weeks is we're just going to let Jesus inform us about what we do have. And that is the incredible gift that he has given to us, the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. Because, and I'll start with this foundational premise, Jesus had the best view of the Holy Spirit. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, you go to Jesus. In fact, we're never going to appreciate the Holy Spirit like we should, unless we understand how much Jesus appreciated the Holy Spirit. Jesus was passionate about the Holy Spirit, and his view wasn't informed by some systematic theology. It was formed out of an intimate, personal life experience. In fact, as you study the life of Jesus, it's, it's crazy how much you see it. It, just, it. it becomes abundantly clear how intimately connected his life was to the power of the Holy Spirit. So you just start in the very beginning. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel, Mary, is told she's going to, to, to give birth, right? And she says, how is that going to happen? The angel appears to her, and he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Jesus was literally conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus began his ministry, he's baptized by John. And Matthew chapter 30, verse 16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting him. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter says that Jesus was anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing people who were under the power of the devil. So from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, everything he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, says that Jesus went to the cross, that he offered his unblemished life to God through the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says he was raised to life by the Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 2 says that until the day he was taken up to heaven, Jesus instructed his disciples through the Holy Spirit. So from the moment he was conceived until the day he left this earth, Jesus lived by, filled with, guided by, empowered by, helped by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was the best life ever because it is the best gift ever. And he wanted and still wants that life for you and me. And so he has given us a gift because we need some help. So everything else we're going to look at is going to be built on what I think are the two most basic things that Jesus wants us to know about the Holy Spirit. Two things. If you get nothing else, I hope you get these two things. The first is this. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, some of you may be thinking, we pay this guy for this? <laughs> Duh, right? Duh, the Holy Spirit is God. But, but let's break that down. Let's unpack that for a moment. Because a lot of people tend to think of the Holy Spirit, like we think of God, and we think of Jesus, and it's kind of like the Holy Spirit is like God-like or God-light. But the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. He's not the third wheel, okay? He is God. And so when Jesus said, guys, you don't need to grieve because I'm leaving. I know you're sad, and I know you want me to be with you, but you don't need to grieve because I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. They weren't getting less of Jesus. They were getting all of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, May the, just listen to the, <coughs> the, the equal parts that are given in these. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love that verse. It encompasses everything that the Godhead is to be about in our lives. And second, look at that phrase, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't simply a wonderful power. He is a powerful person. And that's really important. Here's why. Because you use a power. You relate to and know a person. And we can have fellowship with the Holy Spirit because he's not a fog and he's not a ghost. He is God. He is God. The Bible says that he speaks. He guides. He decides. He helps us pray. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. There's a story about that in Acts chapter 5. I could go on and on, but my point is this. I really want us to understand that we're not simply talking about how to tap into something but we're talking about how to relate and fellowship with someone. In Acts chapter 8, Philip and Peter and John are doing some amazing work and ministry in Samaria, and there's this magician by the name of Simon, and he's just wowed by what they're doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want to buy that power you've got. I see what you're doing. I want to buy that. 
And Peter turns to him and gives him one of the most harshest rebukes that you will see anywhere in Scripture. He says in Acts chapter 8, verse 20, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You don't buy God. You don't control God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3, verse 8, that he's like the wind. He blows where he wills. Not where you will, but where he wills. And I think here's part of why that's important, because some of us might be saying, okay, yeah, I want to know more about the Holy Spirit, but I just don't want to go too far, you know? I don't want to be crazy. If the Holy Spirit's a fire, I want to control the burn, right? But again, you don't control God. You open your life to God, and you receive what God does for you and in you and through you. That's what you do. The Holy Spirit is a gift, but this is a gift you don't put in a box. So let me ask you a question. Why would we ever need to fear a gift from God? If God gives you a gift, why would we need to fear that? And the reason why I ask that question is because the reality is I've talked to many Christians, and I've listened to a lot of other Christians in conversations, and it's amazing how when the subject of the Holy Spirit comes up, there is this uncertainty and this, maybe fear is too strong, but there's an anxiety and just an, an unknowingness and a hesitancy about it. But again, why would we ever need to fear a gift from God? I heard a story about a guy who was going on vacation and he had a dog that he took with him everywhere he went and he really depended on that dog. And so he called the hotel owner at the hotel where he was planning on staying for a, a little bit and uh, he asked if it would be okay for him to bring his dog. And the hotel owner said, well, I've been operating this hotel for years and years and years. And in all that time, I've never had a dog steal anything. I've never had a dog have to be kicked out in the middle of the night for being drunk and disorderly. I've never had a dog run out on a hotel bill. Yes, indeed, your dog is welcome at my hotel. And if your dog will vouch for you, you can stay here too. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is a dog, but here's what I am saying. What has the Holy Spirit ever done that we should be afraid to welcome him? Because not only is the Holy Spirit God, but here's the second thing. The Holy Spirit is also good. The Holy Spirit is good. If you don't learn anything else today, I hope you learn these two things. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is good. That's what Jesus said. And he knew better than anyone the fellowship and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that Jesus just cannot say enough good things about the goodness of the Holy Spirit. You know, translators have wrestled with how to translate that word that we read earlier in John chapter 16. We read the word advocate. Other translations that you may be using might say counselor or comforter. I really like the one helper. It's simple, and yet like, that's what God wants to do. That's why Jesus was so excited about the Holy Spirit. That's why God is so excited about giving us this gift of the Holy Spirit, because he desires to help us. In Luke chapter 11, one of, the, one of Jesus' disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. There's a similar account in, in Matthew chapter 6, but uh, in, here in Luke chapter 11, uh, he asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus goes on to teach him what we often call the Lord's Prayer. But in the context of that, especially specifically here in Luke chapter 11, he goes on to talk about how it's not just words that enable prayer, but it's your view of God. How do you view God? That's what undergirds prayer. And he says in Luke chapter 11, 
verses 11 through 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Then listen to what he says next. This is Jesus speaking. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give us a supernatural dimension to living. He doesn't want us to do life in our own flesh and in our own strength and in our own will. He wants to give us a quality of life that goes beyond what these sin-infected bodies are capable of. And so because God is good and because Jesus is good and because the Holy Spirit is good, nothing that the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life should ever make you afraid or should ever need to be restrained. Because you see, to be afraid of the Holy Spirit is in essence to subtly question the goodness of God. It's a good gift he has given to us. There is no need for us to question it or be hesitant about it. And yet, let's be honest, many of us have spent much of our lives, even as Christians, not really welcoming the gift that God has given to us. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning asking why. And what I'm going to say next is not from Scripture, It is more my speculation and my own personal experience in ministry and in conversations that I've had with people. But out of that, let me just share quickly three reasons why I think we are sometimes hesitant to really lean into and develop our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. One is just what I would call negligent teaching. Just negligent teaching. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, I can understand why you may not have a very high understanding of the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of us who grew up in church that we still are quite ignorant about what is the Holy Spirit. Like if I asked you, I'm guessing most of us would probably be intimidated to answer the question, what is the Holy Spirit? How do we answer that? How does he work? What does he do? And and I think, listen, there's a lot of things going on, but I, I do think at least part of the issue is that we tend to either think or have had teachings that go to one extreme or the other. And that's the case in a lot of things, right? We get in trouble when we start going to the extremes and instead of dealing with what Scripture actually says. But we we go to these extremes, and so for some they believe, yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit did back then, but none of that's really applicable for us today. Others believe that the Holy Spirit operates only through the Bible, which to my knowledge I don't ever read in the Bible. Maybe you can show me a verse. I don't see that. That, only oper- that he only operates through the Bible. Others believe that everything the Holy Spirit has ever done or could possibly ever do is on the table. And listen, I believe that there are certain things that Scripture presents that the Holy Spirit did in and through those early disciples and those apostles that were exclusively for a certain time and a certain purpose. I believe that. And yet, that's, that's you know, we go to these extremes. So at the same time, listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you. And listen to that last word. Forever. Forever. Jesus wasn't promising help for just one generation. He was promising help for every generation 
going out on mission for him and with him. And so I think there, there are things that Scripture, I think, makes clear. That God does through the Holy Spirit, God did through the Holy Spirit, that were done specifically and exclusively in the life of the early church. But we also need to be very careful of any theology that puts the Holy Spirit on tranquilizers. So avoid the extremes. Here's the second thing. I think another reason why we're sometimes hesitant is what I'll just call negative experiences. And this kind of goes along with um, negligent teaching as well. But a lot of people I've talked to have had just some experiences with people when it comes to the Holy Spirit that were just downright hurtful. And, 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 and so, you know, there are a lot of people that have been in religious circles and, and, and negligent teaching along with this have presented the Holy Spirit as just this elitist view. Like, you know, well, I, I, I have this much of the Holy Spirit, and I'm, you know, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're not real. I, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with people who have, have been in, ha, had experiences with people like that, that they've been told they can't be in certain places or can't be in, in a certain group because they are not basically holy enough. They don't have enough of the Spirit. Now, I don't know what those people that were telling them were full of, but it was not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit does not divide the people of God. The Holy Spirit unites the people of God. The Holy Spirit does not make you better than anybody else. The Holy Spirit makes you better than yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And anytime an elitist spirit develops in the body of Christ, it is not holy. The Holy Spirit calls you into the person God always wanted you to become. So negligent teaching, negative experiences certainly can play a part. But personally, I think the biggest reason for hesitancy when it comes to the Holy Spirit is simply nominal discipleship. The truth is, most Christians, especially those of us in 21st century America, can live pretty well without the Holy Spirit. We have the resources, we have the talents, we have the advantages to live a relatively comfortable life without a whole lot of help. And so we settle for a mild, safe, tepid kind of discipleship that doesn't really demand any more of us than just to attend church every now and then, or maybe even every Sunday, and we give a little money, and we try to be a good citizen, we try to be a good person, and we try to be a pleasant neighbor. You don't really need supernatural help to do that. Author and theologian Soren Kierkegaard tells a story of a town that is, uh, all the citizens are ducks. And so every Sunday they waddle down Main Street and they waddle into church and they waddle into their pews and they sing their duck hymns and they pray their duck prayers and then the duck preacher gets up and he begins to preach and he says, Ducks, God gave you wings! And with wings you can fly, and with wings you can soar like eagles. No fences can hold you, no boundaries can confine you. We can fly, ducks, we can fly, and all the ducks shout, amen, amen. And then all the ducks waddle back home. You see, if your great goal in life is to be comfortable, and you are, then why do you need a comforter? I honestly think that the greatest hesitancy and anxiety about learning more and exploring more and growing more in fellowship with the Holy Spirit is that his definition of what's best for my life may not line up with mine. And I don't like that. I already have a pretty good life, Holy Spirit. 
I don't need you meddling, right? I don't need you messing things up. So you stay on the shelf. You stay on your side. I'll handle this over here. And if things get really rough, maybe I'll lean on you. But what you call a good life might take me out of my comfort zone so that I might need a comforter. But listen, if you don't ever get out of your comfort zone, why do you need a comforter? Why? So don't get, don't get too close, Holy Spirit. You see, we like to lead. We like to be in control, but we don't like to be led. But the very essence of discipleship is fellowship. We are pursuing the life of Jesus. It is our mission as the church to make and grow followers of Jesus. But let's just be honest. We can't do that in our own strength. We can live and we can love to a certain degree on our own. That's why you look out into the world and you see people who can live and love to a certain degree on their own. But I'm going to tell you, church, you cannot live and you cannot love like Jesus without some help. So if you want to live and love nominally, tepidly, but if you want to live and love like Jesus, you and I are going to need some help. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus made that help available to us. Jesus did what is best for us so that we could be our best for him. And you know, things haven't really changed all that much. We live in a world full of uncertainty and depravity and even hostility. If you challenge cultural values with kingdom values, right? And into our world, just like those first disciples, into our world today, Jesus is sending us as ambassadors of a new kingdom, of a new way to live. And we need some help. I don't know how else to say it than this. If you don't need daily the help of the Holy Spirit, then you're not following where Jesus wants you to go. Let me say that again. If you don't daily need the help of the Holy Spirit, then you're not following where Jesus wants you and has called you to go. We need more of the Spirit if we're going to make more of a difference. The Holy Spirit won't make you weird. He'll make you more like Jesus. Now, that will make you strange in some ways, but in a wonderful way. And it's not natural. It is super natural. But that's what happens when you're led, filled, empowered, guided by the Spirit. And that's what Jesus wanted for us. And that's the gift he's given to us. And it is the best gift ever.